are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So we concluded last chapter with the idea that God's wisdom is first and foremost what? Very good, pure, right? And because it's God's word, we know God's word itself is pure, but that the wisdom of God that is pure also should bring peace, and it also must be practiced, right? Do you guys remember that now? By the way, I hope you guys appreciate and are challenged by the practicality of James's theology here, because if you really consider it, uh, a lot of people, while they, while they enjoy the epistles, the letters of these apostles and these authors of Scripture, they actually have a harder time with them. And usually when they want to reflect and study and meditate, they usually opt for the gospel narratives or even Old Testament uh, literature because they often feel that they can handle those ideas displayed in those writings much more than what Apostle Paul and the other uh, epistles contain. So many Christians, they prefer the stories of Christ from the gospel simply because if you kind of read it in its, in its face value, you can try to take it as a theoretical type of living. Like Christ is like given this idealistic type of understanding of what Christian living is. And so a lot of people like that because it's theoretical. And when it's theoretical, you don't actually have to do it, right? And so a lot of people prefer that instead of the practical or applied living. So applied or practical Christian living actually challenges us. That's the thing. It challenges us to evaluate our lives. But here's the thing. Other parts of Scripture also do that too. But James in particular here, as, as, as in the other epistles, they really force you to do something about it. It's pretty black and white. They force you to do something about it. James's letter is no different. And I think by now you've all probably got that. So chapter 3 of James closes with the statement about peacemaking or being peacemakers. But we're here in chapter 4 now. And James, he starts off chapter 4 with the opposite of peacemaking, which is discord or disagreements, strife, quarrel, fights, whatever. Now, I think most of us here are relatively at peace with each other. Does anyone here have beef with anyone here? You're all good? Turn to your neighbor and say this, I'm cool with you. <laughs> right? I don't see any visible like, tension here. Or anger. Maybe you guys are just really good at being looking religious, right? But, right, so we're, there's no, I don't think, any issues here. But this passage is not simply trying to call people out like I just did. Instead, what God is intending to do from these few verses is to warn us. To warn us of our potential. The potential to go the complete opposite way of godliness. The potential in our hearts to go the complete opposite way of humility. The complete opposite way of righteousness. The complete opposite way of grace and of love. You see, the heart is quite deceptive. And James is trying to make that clear. So you might think, Pastor David, uh, I'm not that bad. You might not know me, Pastor David, but I think you got it all wrong. And yes, I've had moments where I've been kind of rude and stuff like that, but I'm a generally nice person. I'm generally pretty even-tempered. I'm not as bad as the Bible claims I am. Well, let's think about a few examples here, okay? Consider a man and a woman. Like, I just had the joy and privilege to attend and participate in Hannah and Peter's wedding yesterday. And so again, congratulations to Esther and to Joe, Sarah, for ex extending your family. How crazy is that? That's awesome, right? You guys, are you happy? <laughs> They're like... 
And what typically happens is that when people marry, they're usually passionately in love with each other. Are they not? Can husbands and wives say, woot, woot? Oh. <laughs> and they're willing to give their lives for each other. Guys will say all sorts of crazy things to get that girl, won't they? Right? They'll, they'll say, they'll express their love to their significant others. And it, and it oftentimes starts with really kind of cheesy lines, perhaps, too. You know, because they're desperate. They're desperate for a woman. They're desperate for a wife. And so they'll say stuff, especially if you're a Christian, they'll say, so I was reading the book of Numbers last night, and I realized I didn't have yours. <laughs> or, or things like, hey, I'm Will, God's will for your life. <laughs> or if you want to get an Old Testament on them, they'll say, how many times do I have to walk around you to make you fall for me? <laughs> and be before you ladies start scoffing, rolling your eyes, because I... I've, this is something I've actually heard a girl say. This is back in, I went to discipleship training school in Hawaii, and some girl was definitely, it was obvious she was into this guy. And so maybe she, maybe she said this out of jest, but we all know there's a little truth in jest, right? And she said this, she goes, dude, you put the stud in Bible study. We're like, really? <laughs> Joking aside, when we first come together to express interest in one another as men and women, and as that love and passion converges into a covenant marriage, what happens when divorce occurs? These two who have been completely in love with each other are now what? Bitter enemies seeking to destroy each other in a bloody divorce battle. How many times have you witnessed that? How many times have you heard of situations like that? How can two people who are just obsessed and passionate and in love with each other, who desire to live for one another, two people who only wanted to be with each other and no one else, come to be like this? How? Or picture a child, a baby who was nurtured in the loving care of their mother's arm, and the child or the child who was deprived of their father's heart. But now as a teenager, they grow up and they spew out some of those vile and reprehensible words at their parents. I hate you. I wish I was never born. Why are you like this? I hate you. You suck. This, this child who is now burning with hatred and bitterness against their parents. Like, what went wrong? How did it happen? Or picture a church. A church that was once filled with people with the same mind, same vision, same voice, same love for Christ and for one another. And they would give up their life saving just to build up a place of worship. They would sacrifice their own needs and make sure that others' needs were met. They would do everything they can, do it well, and they would try to gather with eager and with, with love and worship to gather together and serve the Lord and worship the Lord. But a few years into it, a few years into a word, a careless word spills out perhaps. Perhaps it had to do with something as silly as a disagreement with a type of activity or type of food or the color of paint on the wall. But now the entire body no longer speaks to each other. In fact, they just can't stand to be with each other. How could something like this happen? How could something like this happen? Something that started off so ideal, something so beautiful, so well, and it, and it, it just becomes this mess, this chaos. And the truth is this, James sees the realities in the lives of God's people and so answers the question that has plagued mankind from the beginning, and that is what went wrong. And James, he teaches us three truths today. First is this, is that our desire rages within us. Our desire rages within us. Here in verse 1, God, he addresses the problem of quarrel and fighting by highlighting the fact 
that before we should ever dare point our fingers at any other person, that the fingers first point to us and to the things inside of each of us. And so the key word used here is desire or passion. It's the Greek word is hedonon. Does that word sound familiar? Hedonon? That's where we get the word for hedonism. Hedonism, the idea, the philosophy of life that says that the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of your personal happiness is so high, it must be supreme in your life. That must be your end goal in life, to make you happy. And that's the root of the first problem, that raw pleasure-seeking is something we all crave inside. We all want that. It looks like our like our desire for comfort, our desire for ease and luxury, our desire for wealth and for material things. We want to satisfy our fleshly desire. Sprite coined a popular saying. What, what was it? Do you guys remember? Obey your thirst. Burger King says what? Have it your way. Nike says what? Just do it. Sadly, I can even add this to the mix now. Creeflo Dollar, a prosperity gospel preacher, he tweeted this a few days ago. I got from my friend's Facebook. He said, this is a pastor, by the way. He said, Jesus bled and died for us so that we can lay claim to the promise of financial prosperity. Let me say that again. Jesus bled and died for us so that we can lay claim to the promise of financial prosperity. Hashtag prosperity in Christ. Hashtag wealthy living. Hashtag abundant life. That was his tweet, and he has hundreds of thousands of followers. He wants what he wants. People want what they want. And so these slogans are simply feeding into that internal carnal desire that every person already has. And the Bible makes it explicitly clear what happens when we buy into our fleshly cravings. Titus 3.3 says that we'll be deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Meaning, you think that seeking after these things are perhaps good for you. But in the end, these things actually start controlling you. These pleasures... They no longer become just pleasures. They become addictions. You must have it. I must have it. Has anyone ever watched a series on Netflix? Note that I said series, not an episode. Now, there's nothing wrong necessarily with watching a season of shows, but if we're to be honest with ourselves, how many times have we watched something and gotten so addicted to the show at the expense of other responsibilities in life, and you realize, I forgot to eat. Or I forgot to pick up my child, (laughs) right? Or I forgot to do my assignment. Or I forgot to, oh, I'm too tired, I can't come to church. Or I totally missed life group. Or I'm supposed to hang out with this person, but I'll go ahead and text and say, (laughs) I'm sick. Let's get deeper. How many times has your addiction and desire for entertainment or anything else exhausted you to the point where days have gone by without you even thinking about God? Has that ever happened? And that's what internal desires of our flesh does because our flesh, our internal desires, they want nothing to do with the Spirit of God, nothing to do with the desires of God, nothing to do with the purpose and the agenda of God because your flesh and my flesh hates God, hates Him, hates His desires, hates His people, and seeks to lift yourself up rather than the body of Christ and rather than 
the glory of God. 1 Peter 2.11 even warns us that these sinful desires don't simply affect your day-to-day, but it actually rages and it wars against your own spirit, against your own soul. In other words, caving in to the cravings of your flesh, it quenches the spirit, and instead it begins to fan the flames of sin and rebellion in your lives because it removes any desire for God and makes you yearn for the things of the world, for the things of and all its pleasures. The word of God, prayer, church, forgiveness, love, humility, all these things will benefit you. It will strengthen your spirit. But when you seek to satisfy your flesh, seek to satisfy your desires, your flesh's appetite will grow while your spirit will suffer. That's why John Baptist in John 3 says this, He must increase and I must what? Decrease. He must increase in my life. I must decrease in my life. More of Christ in me, less of me, less of me. A church that is growing is a church that doesn't exceed its seating capacity. A church that is growing is a church that most resembles Christ. That is a church that is growing. When its members most resemble Christ, when the church and the people in it are most Christ-like, I want you to get your, that notion out of your head that thinking just because we can increase our numbers numerically to 100 or two or 300 by the end of the year that somehow, wow, we'll be successful. I'm not saying that numbers are wrong. No, it is quite indicative many times of certain things that are happening within church, but it is not the end-all be-all call for a church. You see, it's about you. It's about whether you're growing. It's about whether I'm growing as a pastor. Is whether you are growing as a disciple of Christ. That is how we can count success. Amen? And so if you're happily going with the flow, simply trusting in your feelings, oh, this is what I think I should do, this is what feels right, and placing faith in yourself and what you desire just for yourself, then you're in trouble. Your heart and flesh are deceptive, meaning that even when we don't know Meaning this, we don't even really know what we want. Because of our sinful nature, what we naturally and fleshly want really has nothing to do with God. That's why you're always hearing me. That's why you keep hearing me and hearing the life group leaders and, and one another in our discussions to keep the word of God in our hearts, to read it, meditate on it, memorize it, study it, love it, and speak it. Because the word of God, what it does is realigns us to the truth. The word of God, it acts as a true compass that will lead us to freedom in Christ. We need the word of God. Our hearts are deceptive. Ask yourself, what drives you? Okay, how about this? What is the dominant concern in your life? The dominant concern in your life right now. Like, do you desperately want to be respected, revered, feared? Do you desperately want to create financial security at all costs? Do you desperately want to get married and start a family? I'm sure yesterday at the wedding, there were many people, both guys and girls, who were thinking, that's what I want. Do you want to get those diplomas? Look, pastor or not, every Christian is called to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
Every Christian is called to share the gospel and to love God and love one another and make disciples. See, whether you're a teacher or a janitor or an IT professional, a doctor, lawyer, or a student, or whatever, if your driving force isn't for the glory of God, then it will, it will, it will be for the glory of man, for your own glory. And that is what all our desires within us are always seeking and raging for. Secondly, our desires generate conflict. When people get in trouble, they typically try to cover it up, don't they? Coming clean and admitting it is always best, but everyone tries to cover it up. So we think we can get away with this by simply sweeping our issues, our problems, our trespasses, whatever you want to call it, under that proverbial rug. And what happens is that it begins to affect all other aspects of our lives and other relationships around us. Verse 2 says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. This verse really speaks into the human condition because we end up doing, because what we end up doing is directly caused by the desire we all have within us. You see, this quarreling and this fighting, it's, it's not just a correlation, it's a causation, meaning this, you desire and you covet, but you don't get it, so you murder. Or you covet and you can't obtain it, so you fight and you quarrel. So you see this. This here shows us that these things, what James is saying here in verse 2, are conditional. This shows the relationship between our pleasure-seeking, our hedonism, our desires, our fleshly wants, and their consequences. When you follow and pursue what your flesh wants wholeheartedly, there will be fighting, there will be quarreling, there will be killing. And so James isn't saying that this could happen. He's saying it's already happening. Because when we have sinful desires within us, all our attention is focused on them. Have you guys ever, who here has ever gotten angry? Like I'm talking about angry. I'm not talking about I stubbed my toe, man, this stinks. I'm talking about you said what? Or someone's driving past you and they show you a little finger and you're like, you did what? Like, you got angry. But here's the thing. Have you gotten so angry where all you see is just red? Blind rage. Like, you have someone who says, calm down, calm down, it's okay. And you, they're just like a fly on your shoulder. Just whatever, I don't care. I, all I can think about is what she or he has done to me right here, right now, and I want to get them. Have you ever had that kind of rage where that rage just totally occupies you. It just totally controls you. That's what it is. The inner struggle is great that if we allow them to remain unchecked, that anger, that sin, that whatever, that sinful fleshly desire in you, it will take over and control every fiber of who you are and the results and in war and destruction of ourselves, within ourselves and with one another. And this happens more than you think. In fact, it probably happened this morning for many of you. How many of you guys find Sunday mornings to be quite stressful? I think we all can agree, right? It's stressful. Why? Is it coincidence that Sunday mornings are just so difficult to get your family, to get your life in order, and just simply get in your car and drive to church? No, it's a spiritual battle. It's spiritual warfare. Sunday mornings are always the most stressful time in any day of the week. 
There are probably more arguments that occur Sunday morning than any other day. Husbands end up wounding their precious wives. Wives end up disrespecting their husbands to embarrass or humiliate them. Parents belittle and yell at their kids rather than train and prepare them for service. Child, children, they rebel and they disobey their parents rather than honor them. And this happens and it's happening right now. Why? Because of the desire that rages within us. So what do we do? What can we do? Our last point, we must turn our desire towards God. I love the end of verse 2 here. The answer is just wonderfully simple. We must, and these are the two words, ask God. Ask God. Are you dissatisfied? Ask God. Are you, do you feel empty and unfulfilled? Ask God. Do you find your sinful desires slowly creeping in and destroying your life? Ask God, are you depressed, succumbing to the pressures of the world? Ask God, do you feel tired and unmotivated to know God and pursue him? Ask God. Now, maybe some of you guys were hoping for some sort of revelatory answer. Pastor David, come on now. Just ask God. Ask God. Pastor David, how many times have I asked God for help? How many times have I asked God for resolutions? How many times have I asked God for me to be able to submit to him and humble myself before him and ask for forgiveness? Pastor, how many times have I asked God as I was crying out with my, tear, with my eyes filled with tears and also with rage and, and frustration and messed up just thinking of everything and I've been asking God, but now you're saying that I just need to ask God? I've already tried that, PD. Did not work. God knew that I was going to ask you this. He knew that you're going to respond that way, so he answered your response right now. In verse 3. He knew you were going to say that. He says this, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. First thing, when we ask God, we ask him like as if he's jolly old Saint Nick. So us asking him is really for our sake and not his. It's like my daughter who has now discovered candy. Asking for all of the, all of, out of the blue, Daddy, candy? She wants a lollipop at night. She wants it. I mean, who, who wouldn't want it? It tastes good. Candies are sweet. But I know it'll do no good for her and for the dental bill I'll eventually have to pay for. No matter how noble your request may be, sometimes the answer is no because it goes against your good whether you know it or not, and ultimately it goes against God's will. But secondly, the reason why we ask wrongly is because we keep holding on to our passions, people. Look, if you're drowning, you need to let go of your possessions. You know, one of my favorite scenes is in Titanic when when, um, that, when she lets go of Jack and he goes down the water. <laughs> Why? Because it's a beautiful example of what's going on here. If she held on to his rigid body, what would happen? She would sink. She would die. Okay, maybe that's not a good example. If you're drowning, you need to let go of your possessions no matter how valuable they may be. Because if you don't, it'll drag you down into the depths of the seas and you will die. It's no different with us right now with, uh, with God because 
Right now, many of us here are crying out to God, and we're crying out for help, saying, Lord, save me from my circumstances. Save me from my situation. God, I need peace in my life. You're you're seeking his salvation and everything, but because we're drowning, for some reason, you're unwilling to let go of all the other things. You're unwilling to let go of your possessions. You're unwilling to let go of your idols. And at the same time, you're saying, I need rescue, while you're desperately kicking and treading to stay afloat. We have to abandon our most basic commitment to pleasure-seeking people. We must be aware that many times when we cry out for God for answers, for resolution or whatever, that we're crying out to him while embracing the very idols he detests. It's like a guy, okay, who's proposing to his girlfriend. Baby, I love you. And I promise to be with you and to devote my entire life to you. And he's saying that while he still has pictures and memorabilia of his ex plastered all throughout his room and saved on his phone. Ladies, question, dump or keep going? (laughs) Translation, kill him or he's dead. You see, he says he wants to move on, but until he's willing to let go of everything, his desire to hold on to the past will always overpower his hope for a new future. And I think many of us right now, we, we know what's true, and we know what's right. We know that God, what God wants for our lives, and we know that deep down we do, but we have these passions that we're unwilling to let go of. We have these self-desires that we're unwilling to relinquish and surrender to the Lord. And because of that, you're right now trying to hold God with one hand while embracing your idol with the other. And the Lord will not have it that way, for you cannot serve two masters. God wants your whole heart, not just 99% of it, 100%. And so we must ask God, Ask him in prayer. Ask him through his word. Ask him all the time. Every day seek him because only Jesus can fulfill that desire of your heart. Only Jesus can. Money cannot. Success cannot. Family cannot. Wonderful relationships cannot. Churches cannot. We will all fall short. But Christ himself is a great satisfier of our lives. Today God is asking all of us to lay down our idols. And the idol could very well just be, a, could be fear in your life. It could be your hope. It could be your ambition. It could be the fact that, you know what, you were raised in poverty, so I'm going to make sure I do well in life so I don't have to suffer like my parents did or like my, I did growing up. It could be anything and everything. You see, lay that down. Lay down your ambitions. Lay down everything, but nothing compares with the truth of knowing God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Receive Him and reject all things. Embrace him and deny everything else. Until we do this, your desire to satisfy your flesh will not only never cease, but will control and drive every aspect of who you are further and further away from God. And the more you draw near to God through his word, through prayer, and through the meeting of the body of Christ, the more your spirit will be strengthened and the more his desires will become yours. You see, when grace and I... We're courting for those few days. 
She was located down in Virginia Beach, and I was obviously here. And so the initial uh, courtship, we were corresponding via email. And then slowly, it slowly progressed to phone calls because I'm aggressive. But it was in those emails that truly shaped my understanding of who she was. And it was those emails that shaped who I was to her. I began to know what she enjoyed and what she did not enjoy. I began to see how she viewed certain things in life and in this world. I began to understand her humor. She loved the office, and I was like, check. I began to understand what she loved, but also I began to understand what she hated. In short, I began to know her. It's no different between us and Jesus, people. The desires within us are strong, but as you know Christ more, his spirit begins to take more real estate in your life and in your heart, and soon you begin to enjoy what he enjoys. You begin to love what he loves. You begin to hate what he hates. You begin to understand why he says the things he said. You begin to understand his perspective. You begin to appreciate his work. And you begin to desire for what he desires. In short, you begin to know him. So I end with this. If you want that, you can. But it begins with you surrendering yourself to Christ. It always starts and it will always end. From this moment to the last breath of your life, we are constantly surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. You must be willing to give up everything for him. Here's the thing. Don't think that automatically you have to sell your house now and give away your possessions to the poor to follow Christ. But if he were to ever ask you, would you be in a place where you would say obediently and faithfully, yes, Lord, all I have is yours. You must be willing to let go of everything for him, even the desires that you held on to since you were young. And if you do that, Christ will become a greater desire in your life. And he will not leave you empty, people. That is his promise. And when you seek him and when you have him, having him will not hurt others. Having him will actually bring people to him. Having him will actually restore the wounds and heal you. Having him will actually make things right in your life in terms of clarity and understanding. Having him ultimately will glorify the Father, and that's what we want. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray now. Lord, I don't want to muddy what has happened in the last half an hour with anything else for fear that it might be just completely unnecessary. And so, Lord, I just want to lift up a short prayer to you, a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of hope, that what we've heard today, that we can trust that these are your words and trust that when we obey your words and follow your words, that it will lead us to truth and to life. It will lead us to hope. It will lead us to freedom. Lord, I think we're sick and tired of all the expectations that the world has placed upon us, our society has placed upon us, our families have placed upon us. 
maybe even our expectations that we place upon ourselves, and it's quite burdensome. The reason why it's burdensome is simply because those are our desires. And our desires were never meant to actually alleviate anything. Instead, it's our desires will do nothing but create greater weight upon our already burdened spirits. But Jesus, you can free us from that. Holy Spirit, you can free us from that. So brothers and sisters, I want to give you guys a moment as the praise team gets ready for the last song to offer up to the Lord a prayer, a prayer that perhaps you have feared praying, a prayer that requires submission, a prayer that will actually have to voice words of humility and repentance, words that will actually have to do with our own inability and inadequacies and reliance upon his strength and his wisdom. So let me give you guys a few moments here to pray that prayer because the Lord is calling you right now to, to come back. The Lord is calling you right now to reevaluate your lives, but not just to evaluate and be introspective, but actually be doers. Because what we often fail to understand is that that healing that we all aspire for and seek after, that healing actually happens as we follow out and obey him. Yeah, so Lord, lead us right now as we pray to you. Let's pray.